we see, you know, for learning, we see for personal growth, we see for community building, but somehow adults start to shy away from it. It's actually sad because we lose one of the biggest opportunities to grow by stopping to play. I talk a lot about play. My team and clients are always hearing me use the word in conversation. To me, a brainstorm is playing. Collaborating on a project is playing. Exploring new ideas is playing. Really, all work to some degree is play. But it doesn't mean I'm a casual goof-off all the time. Though I'd probably like to be a little more silly than serious, especially in the face of serious work. Instead, I think of play mostly as part of a healthy mindset that supports productivity, collaboration, and creativity. In other words, for me, play is serious work. And thankfully, I'm not alone in this idea. Which brings me to today's guest, Konstantin Mitguch. Konstantin is a researcher, author, and game designer focusing on transformative learning experiences and games. He's the founder of the Viennese game design agency Playful Solutions, creating playful experiences with purpose for organizations and educational settings. Prior to starting Playful Solutions, Konstantin spent a decade researching the impact of games on players at MIT and other institutions. He has designed prototypes made to subvert common gameplay experiences and has tinkered with games as expressive tools that help us better understand and connect with one another. He may actually have my dream job, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to chat with him today. Welcome to Living Untitled. Well, Constantine, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's so pleasure. great to have you. And live from Austria. Live, are, are you in Vienna yeah. right now? Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I'd like to start, first of all, with just grounding the conversation and community because that's, you know, that's why we're here, certainly. I think really everyone that we bring onto the show, we find people in the world that love community as much as we do, if not more, and are doing so many amazing things to build community in their own way. I'd like to start with the question, how do we remind people that community is worth the investment? When we... You know, I think an interesting question, that's <laughs> a big question, but what's the purpose of it all? Mm. You know, yeah, very big question. <laughs> and it's fascinating how we managed now to live lives and work in a way where we forgot to answer this question. Most people, when you ask them, what's the purpose of you being here? They will not be able to answer. And when we, but when you look into the, the, the answers to these questions, most people will say for connection, we want to feel connected to others and ourselves. That's for most people actually it, right? And that gives you a certain feeling, that gives you a sense. And I think when it comes to community, I think at the end of the day, it's it's what feels most coherent in, in, in terms of making, creating meaning and purpose in life to feel connected to community, right? And I think there is no way around it. I know there are people these days that are more isolated or that are more introverted and they struggle with pressure of community. But at the end of the day, we all have a desire to belong, right? That's and I, I think, I think we, I think we could remind ourselves more often about that. That that's a truth we should be aware of. And also, you know, I think the interesting one is also we we can create the communities. We can create the rules how we want to run a community. And I think sometimes we we think, oh, you know, if there are certain issues that we are trapped in the way we handle social situations, but we're not. We can evolve, right? We can get better at that. Yeah. Top line, kind of in your work, the work that you've sort of focused on throughout your career, obviously with Playful Solutions, the work that you're doing as an organization in the world today, what are you doing, put simply, to, to build community? 
the beauty of playing is it always needs a community, right? It's the players that make an activity a game, right? Without them, mm. it's just an empty chessboard. Without the players, it's just a structure, right? It doesn't do anything. So we are super interested in getting people to play with each other and thereby also make experiences that are meaningful to them, right? That's a very important one. But the beauty of play is also there's a cultural phenomena around it, right? There is the way kind of like we grow up as a society concerning play, right? So for instance, I come from Austria, so German board games are a big part of our tradition. We grow up playing with each other. Back in the days in the US, that wasn't the case, right? Other countries have that. So there is something about the cultural context. There is something about, um, you know, the social also in sports, you know, sports is such a, yeah. it's a game, right? And it's it, yeah. it really is essential for our culture and for our community. So I think the way we do it is when we design games, we always think about who are we designing for, which community are these people from, and, and what does it mean? What codes do they bring? What do they need? Um, and also, what? How does it shape the community? What does it, you know, how, do to that community after playing? Wait, real quick, a German board game. What's what's your favorite one? I'm so curious. What I, I I've never played a German board game. <laughs> you know, Settler of Catan is a German board game, right? Like, really? Yeah, that's like a, there is just a very long tradition of of German board game making. Right, huh. Americans, at least what I heard, would they would play Scribble and stuff like that back in the days, yep. right? But we grew up with a much bigger priority. It was very usual to play together, you know, since the 60s, 70s. People would come together and play these board games. But I think Settler is is one of those that I really, you know, I grew up with. You know, I I, I, yeah. I, I think I learned to know sides of my mother by playing Settler with her, Settler of Catan, and realizing, oh, my God, this woman is very smart, you know, like <laughs> very competitive. But I'd be like, wow, you know, then with the game, so she's like, oh, you know, nothing happened. So yeah. <laughs> game night in my house always ended with at least one of us in tears. Right. <laughs> whether it was my mom, whether it was me, whether it was well, usually like in fairness, it usually was never me. It was usually my mom or my brother. <laughs> one of them would be yelling at each other. <laughs> one of them would storm away in tears. I never knew that trivia pursuit would be <laughs> such high stakes yeah. until my family decided to do game night. <laughs> You know, I think it's the moment you realize you know nothing about history, for instance. Every time you fail at university, <laughs> you'll be like, okay, I got the message, you know. So another thing that I think would be helpful to kind of ground ourselves in in this conversation is, you know, we, again, we're using the word community here in a lot of different ways. But I think it's a word, I, I, I often sort of say this, that it's like one of those words that is so important to pretty much everyone in one way, shape, or form, but no one really mm. has the same definition when it comes to community. So I'm very curious. So when you're talking about community and the work that you do, even your own sort of philosophy or perspective on it, what does community really mean to you? I'm with you. There's not like a, a classic definition I follow up on. I think for me, community means... Uh, group of humans that share specific values and feel a certain purpose or meaning connected in the form of engagement. And I say that because I think sometimes when we think about community, we think about very fixed communities. But, you know, in the days we live to these days, a community can form around something they like or something they value and have a very, very different community on the other side, right? And I think that makes it interesting. Um, but I think there is something about sharing a certain value, belief, 
um, meaning that really matters to you and you feel connected to that uh, these other people. That's how I would define for myself, I think, a community. Interesting point. I, I, I agree with you. Though even when we think about values and sharing values, I agree that's a galvanizing force mm. for community. But then what happens, and I think this is something that you play with a little bit in your work as well, what happens then when people maybe don't share the same values or are on opposing side mm. as it relates to a specific value orientation. Yeah. I think it's a really beautiful example and particularly interesting for our times where people like these different opinions and values are kind of like often triggered and then, you know, said you are so different, they are so different than me, etc. But the interesting thing is you always will find a shared value if you would search for it. And I love and a good example for me is still sports. You know, in, yeah. in sports, people go in a stadium and they're so different. But in that moment, they care about the same thing, which doesn't matter at all, by the way. Who cares? Yes. It's just a game. <laughs> no, you know, but at that moment, they really connect and they feel very bonded, right? The moment the game is over, you know, they suddenly don't like each other anymore. And I think this shows the potential that we would all have these shared values if we if we would live in a world where we would search for those versus going for these differences and really kind of like being like, oh, no, I'm definitely not part of your community, right? And to be honest, for me, it really gives me hope because I most of the time find something where I feel, ah, here we are, here at this point, I could be in, in a community with you, even if other points I don't agree with. You're right. These people from so many different walks of life that probably have absolutely nothing in common outside the the gates of that arena or you know the doors of that stadium whatever that may be they're able to come together in that moment yeah. and you're right they're able to kind of look left to right and see this amazing intersection of so much diversity but coming together as one community around something that they all value in that current moment exactly right and i think when you go into a stadium and you just feel in on that one. You just wait a moment and just look at the energy of these people and the positiveness until the team loses, right? But this this is really <laughs> fascinating and it shows the potential, right? We, yeah. I think we have the potential in both directions, right? It can get really, really aggressive and ugly, but I think we need a bit more experiences that are positive, right? That are are kind of like giving us hope how how we can, you know, how communities can be shaped and what they can do actually our future, right? Which is a great segue into, you know, play in the way that you think about it and the work that you do. Many adults and adults probably listening, uh, it, 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 we forget to play mm. or we forget to recognize when we are playing, actually, probably more likely. And we forget to, or maybe we don't always allow ourselves, permit ourselves to exist in a playful situation fully present in that moment due to insecurity or maybe other factors that kind of arise in that particular instance. So why is it so important for people to continue to practice play, to lean into playful experiences, and to just play in general? Why is it so important that we challenge ourselves with play? What is the sort of real value that we can get out of it? Yeah. I think 
um, when you, as you pointed out, think about how we process as humans, how we develop. Without play, we wouldn't be anywhere because as humans, when we're born, we're pretty much incapable of anything, right? We're not like an animal that can run off. So we need play spaces. We need secure spaces to explore ourselves, right? And that's how why that's why kids pretty much play all the time and thereby develop these enormous skills so fast, right? And we do it and we do it. And the older we get, the more we shy away from this. And it's it's fascinating how at a certain point, and particularly also did some research back in the days at MIT, someone in teenage, when you're a teenager and beyond, people start getting serious. And what we lose thereby is this openness to explore ourselves under interesting conditions, right? So, and there is a definition I really like um, from Bernard Suits. He says, playing a game is a voluntary attempt to overcome unnecessary obstacles. And it's really interesting. So that means once the stakes are not that high and we can really engage, we can bring our full self in and we can really develop ourselves. We have joy, we have community, we go on on the edge of our competence, we have emotions, we have fantasies, right? And then we really can, as humans, go beyond our limitations. And I think that's enormous potential we see, you know, for learning, we see for personal growth, we see for community building, but somehow adults start to shy away from it, right? And this is, um, it's actually sad because we, we kind of like lose one of the biggest opportunities to grow um, by stopping to play. And which goes back to that word connection that we talked about earlier. You know, when we think about community and what brings us together as part of a community and why we crave community, even though sometimes we shy away from it in our lives, it's because we just need connection. And so it's interesting when you talk about play in this way, it is allowing ourselves to be open, like you said. And I I forget the phrase you said, and I want to hear it again, where you said... um, in, in playing in or being open in interesting situations. Yeah. What was that phrase again? That was such an interesting way to talk about it. Yeah, so I think um, when you think about, let's take reality, right? Let's take work, yeah. right? So imagine when we work, we always have to learn and grow. But there are certain conditions that limit us. So for instance, we hate failing. But in reality, failing is the most painful thing. When you think about learning, failing is the best thing for learning. There is no other thing that that beats failure, you know, for learning. In games, we are open for failure. You know, the game over is the, the you know, the, the trigger to replay. You know, when we in, in tennis don't hit the ball, that makes the game interesting, right? So failing is a very uh, intriguing aspect of play. So there we can really, that's why we learn. That's why we grow, right? But in reality, we hate failing. Nobody like loves failing, right? But if you would be a good learner, you would love that. You'd be like, perfect, I failed. You know, means I can do it better next time. But the point is, what do your colleagues think about this? You know, what's you know, is it really get fired, etc. Like the, all these fears come in. So the beauty, there is this word called magic circle, you know, in, in the theory, and that means when you enter a play space, suddenly it's secure, right? But we take it very serious. That's a very important part. If you play and you don't take that play space, that magic circle serious, it's done. You know, there is no potential in it. But when we do, there is suddenly this potential to really explore new opportunities and try out things. 
not all of us maybe are coming into those situations and playing with the same level of ability. Maybe take tennis again, like you yeah. said. <laughs> you know, I already said I'm horrible at sports. So if you were to invite me to play a tennis match with you, uh, you would have to be very patient with me. But how does play in that type of an instance, and maybe not even just that type of an instance, but play in general, how does play level the playing field for people? regardless of where they're kind of coming into that experience. Yeah, I think here an interesting one is the beauty of games are that some games are designed in a way where the playing field is really adaptive to your skills. Tennis mm. is a pretty terrible game when it comes to this because it takes a lot of people <laughs> a lot of time and money to learn to even be able to pass the ball two times, right? Okay, so we're not starting with tennis. <laughs> I would say so, right? Video games, on the other hand, they are really good at it. And I think it's often what people forget. Video games can really adapt to where you are, you know, and really challenge you in exactly your level. That's also, you know, the flow concept that that year that I, I'm triggered exactly on the level of my competence, a little bit beyond at the moment I can do this, it, the, the level right, right, raises further, right? And what we experience is a feeling of flow. I forget time, I, I don't realize I'm learning. And I think this is really interesting when it comes to play and games, how can you design an experience that adapts to the person, right? And I think also now in you know the whole AI world, I think that's gonna be interesting for us because we're gonna see a lot more systems that are gonna adapt to where you are and playfully will try to lead you forwards from that point on, right? I think that's an enormous potential of games when they can do that. Well, interesting on that point about playing a video game, how do we still apply some of the other things we're talking about here around play helping to cultivate connection, right? Play supporting community. Does do those same sort of principles apply when it's just maybe me playing a video game by myself against a computer? Am I still getting a, a, a similar benefit from that experience? Or is it only when we shift and play, maybe play that same video game, but play it with a friend yeah. as well against the computer? I think it's it's a really interesting one, uh, interesting question, because I think that the social aspect of, of play and games is quite multidimensional because on one hand, of course, you can have a multiplayer experience, which perfectly includes, you know, all social triggers. But even when you think about a solo game, it's created in a social context. Somebody created this, right? Somebody brings in a narrative. Narratives always connect to a community. Every narrative connects to another narrative, right? So there is a social aspect even to the art piece of, of you know, the game itself. But also, I think there is something about now living with social media. There's something about an online community that might talk about this game. You know, there is so much different multimedia channels going on. So I, I think there's hardly any game isolated that kind of like lives, you know, in a complete bubble. There's always a social component to play. And another interesting thing about it is what is really happening when we go into a state of play, right? Because there is something about it. Um, my theory is humans are best when they play. And even if somebody plays a little mobile phone game on, on the way home on the subway, they go in a state of maybe relaxation, maybe of you know feeling accomplished in what they do, in, in just peacefulness or excitement. So I think there's also something about, I, I want to live in a world where people really play 
versus in a world where they forget to play and suddenly they take everything way too serious, right? And I think there's also something about that by us all playing, there's also connection I see on a social level happening. So what I'm hearing you say is that it's not just the benefits that it, we don't just derive benefit from playing the game and playing the game with others, playing the game, you know, in any kind of context or just playing in general. We those benefits or there are continued benefits for ourselves and potentially for others around us after we're done playing yeah. as well. Yes, yes. It's interesting, of course, with teenagers when they play their, you know, kind of like shooters or games that very activate you, because I think people often forget that they come from a world where they just succeeded in something very excited. And then you ask them for dinner and they like, you know, come from a different world. That's another one that sometimes games have these own worlds you live in. And I think a lot of young people, for instance, they feel very um, self-efficacy. They feel self-efficacy in these experiences. They feel what they do matters versus a real life when they go to school and nobody cares, right? So I think I'm with you. Sometimes it connects people. Sometimes it also disconnects because they're like, what's happening with that person? You know, what's happening with my, my partner, with my kid when they come from these worlds? And I think I would invite people to has, have respect for it in terms of this person is just coming from this fantasy world that they had such a good experience in now to a very mundane, you know, normal thing. <laughs> and, and I think we need, totally. we need to be aware of the landing a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. So I, I, I kind of bring up this point a little bit that I wanted to drill down in this place because, you know, and, and I think even that's like a jumping off point, being aware of the landing, because it is it is the experience with the person and the experience that the person themselves are having once they're done playing that we need to be mindful of in this is what I'm hearing you say, you know, because one of the things that you focus on in a lot of your work, particularly if we think about the work that you do to support organizations, you know, help driving different business outcomes, help driving better outcomes within their organizations in terms of like interpersonal team growth, so on and so forth. You know, this is all part of like play, and I think this is part of your narrative as an organization as well, like play supports transformation, yeah. right, within these organizations for these people. And so what I'm hearing you say and what, what I kind of want to build on with that is that it's not just, okay, the play that I, I – I'm like, hey, Constantine, like playful solutions, let's design an experience that helps my team strengthen collaboration or like support teamwork or team development as a whole. Like, great, they do the experience and then we check that box and then it's like, we'll derive benefit forever from this. <laughs> it's it's not just that investment in that yeah. moment. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but if we're thinking about like larger transformation that's going to obviously take a lot of time. And I'm a firm believer in this, that it's like transformation is something we have to be really patient. We have to be very present in how we, and deliberate in how we design things to support transformation. Because like, it's not just <laughs> flip a switch and it happens. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of investment. So it's designing that experience to support, you know, hopefully help derive some of these benefits in the moment, but then also thinking about, how there's this integration, this implementation that needs to happen after the fact, and also supporting these people that are engaged in that experience as they then go back out into whatever environment they came from in the first place. 
Yeah, I think it's exactly the, the juicy topic here. I think the, what we realized in research and also in practice is there are kind of like three parts to this. The very interesting one that was overlooked a lot was how do you enter the game? What's happening beforehand? What's the context? What's the expectation? So that there is this entering the game is one of the most essential parts. Then there's the experience when people, you know, have these transformative experiences, they have these playful moments, they figure something out to themselves or, you know, immerse in a story. But then the third stage is this integration. So how can I now transfer the learning from the playful experience back into my real life context, work, you know, private life, et cetera. And I think the, the, the really the magic is happening when you get to integrate those three stages in a way where people can enter the best way, experience something deep and then reconnect. Um, and I think therefore there is a really, that's the art, right? And, and what we have seen is that the, the entering and the leaving is as important as the other one. And the way I see transformative, the, the way we think about it, there's informative learning that is more data-driven and there's transformative learning, which is about perspective change, values, social learning. And I see it a little bit like a, like a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you have these pieces lying around. And when we think about what changed my perspective in life, it's often a moment, but it is connected with a lot of puzzle pieces. Suddenly one clicks and then suddenly a picture pops up. And I think... Um, when it comes to these big transformative moments, what you want to do in a game, I think, is often a door opening, opening something new. You probably don't change immediately, but maybe a week later or a month later, you connect the dots. And particularly when you can put this into practice, right? Mm. And for instance, just for me, what what I see when it comes to playfulness, for instance, a classic one would be people at work have conflicts in a team and they kind of like get stuck, you know, the same patterns happen and they feel we can't really work together anymore. Suddenly when they play a game, they have an experience, wait, we can work together. Look what we achieve, you know, Hey, I didn't know that this guy can be so fun or look, she is normally detached, but now she's fully engaged. Right. But the question then is, how can we bring this back? How can we, what happened in the game that we can now kind of like get back. And I think, one aspect is to suddenly have hope, to say, wait, it is possible. What in our work context makes it us so, so restricted? You know, and it might be, oh, the past, you know, because you know, we, we need to kind of like let go of this now and what could give us strength to kind of like now realize there's more potential to us. And I think this is really interesting and something we sometimes overlook. We need this integration phase. And we need also to get people in the right mindset when they enter the game. I love that point about entering the game and being a really important thing. Uh, when I think about designing a lot of experiences and even, you know, even it, it designing like events, right? It's so funny. One of the things that I always talk about is like, well, you got to have an entrance. And People are like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Like, we just, like, some cute little sign. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, the entrance matters in this moment. It's like, I have to, you have to create this sense of, for people in their brains to kind of recognize and understand and feel and sense all around them that it's like, I went from the world outside, 
through this entrance in and in, entered into this world. Yes. Now I am there's this shift that happens that we hope happens in people's minds when they now enter into that space. So I I get it from from the place of, you know, designing an experience in that sense or designing an event in that sense. How do you prepare someone to enter into a, a game environment, to be open and to be receptive in that type of environment? Yeah, I think it's a really good one just because it popped up. There are also so many examples where systems, terrible systems make this really well. High schools, you go in and you smell, you know, you smell high schools and you're like, oh my God, like I'm I'm so triggered. I, every, all the memories come back. <laughs> totally. So it's a really good design, just they yes. wanted something else like that. But so when it comes to playing, um, an interesting one is how, why are the people even showing up? Like, how did that happen? How do you get them involved from the from, from the get-go. That's that's an interesting one. So what is the expectation? And then how we normally do it is we um, there's enormous potential to music, to light. Also, I think nowadays smell is getting more and more important to kind of like make very clear we have now entered the magic circle or we are about to enter the magic circle. So what we need is a ritual. You know, we need this moment of understanding we have now entered a new world. The beauty is most of us want that anyway. <laughs> we, we love this idea of entering a new space. And it's about communicating it clearly and setting clear signs that this is happening. And, you know, story, like in particularly once they are there, to include them in a narrative is something we experience as very powerful. And even if, you know, adults often are like, I don't need a narrative, you know, but the point is, oh, you need a narrative, right? And it can be a theme, <laughs> yes. you know, it can be, um, and, and then because then thereby we trigger certain pre-experiences and some, you know, new expectations. And at the end of the day, I think what we want people is to be open, right? To, to, or to ask if their expectations are correct and maybe thinking about, wait, if, what if something is different this time, right? That's the, the, the right mindset to be open for a new experience. I love it. I like that you're thinking about smell too, because you're right, it is new. And in in a lot of ways, in terms of how people are recognizing the value of investing in it, but it's it's also so fascinating that there is so much research. Like you mentioned that example about, you know, <laughs> when you think of high school and you go into a high school and you have that smell, it's like you're immediately back in that place. And we we forget, I think so often, especially folks in the design, sort of experience design world, we forget how powerful smell really is and um, how much of an impression it makes on people because it just, as research suggests, it's like it scent is this long lingering memory in our brains that lasts for, for so long. And I think we just now have started to understand just truly how long it's like a, a smell can last with us to trigger a memory. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. Another one is, of course, um, you know, getting dressed up. Like, you know, the moment mm. you you put on a mask, a costume or something, again, here we often reach the limitations of adults, you know, because like, I yes. would not get dressed. Once they are dressed, amazing things are happening, right? But, totally. And, you know, but there, besides, you know, Halloween and stuff where people are kind of like more open to this, but there is an enormous power by putting something up or, or you know, like even we, 
we once created one game with sort of like a space station and we just put on kind of like these these uniforms and people immediately feel they're part of something important, right? Just yeah. because you have a name yeah. tag with a you know title and and I was really impressed because it was just like props, but you realize, oh, that already does a trick. Yeah. Yes, the power of a name tag. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I want to also make sure that we talk a little bit about some of these outcomes that you're focused on mm -hmm. in terms of the work itself. Because again, you know, we've we've now kind of set the stage, so to speak, in a way to think about like if we're really trying to deliver this transformational learning sort of experience, this transformational outcome in a way, maybe you've got some people that are bought into this idea that it's like, cool, this can help support something, but like support what? Yeah. <laughs> like why yeah. are they coming to you in the first place? Yeah. What are some of these outcomes that they're trying to achieve through yes. the work that you do? So I think in most cases, what um, organizations are interested in is that people on one hand open their minds for certain topics. So for instance, one example was data analytics, right? The company says that's really important to us. Our employees are biased, right? They, they have certain understandings. We want them to open up and approach this question more curious. So here, for instance, the game can allow them to get a completely new perspective on, on data analytics, AI, big data, that allows them to suddenly say, hey, wait, actually, it's interesting. This, this is fascinating. What can I bring into my work here? Right? That would be more kind of like um, content-driven or transformation as a company. Um, the classic, of course, is you know, team, team development, communication, conflict management, right? So a very interesting for us, for instance, is how to handle failure. Uh, so kind of like, it's such an important topic. Can a game make you understand that failure is a failure culture is needed? How can we develop one, right? That's, that's another part, how we experience it. Uh, a third one that, that we see is, of course, leadership, right? That you think about how to communicate, how to support each other, new forms, new forms of work, right? Introducing those. So I think what is also important when we talk about bringing play to work is to be also aware of the limitations. You know, the game will not change everything. It's a starting point that can open a door and you want to make sure that then you really include the community in developing something together or, you know, going a new path. And I think that's where we see the biggest successes of, of games, um, that it allows people to engage in a topic, in a perspective change, in a transformational aspect. And then, but then the, the ball is rolling. Right. And it's also interesting because it challenges the company to now take that energy. And I think this is one thing we also see is we have an engagement issue these days. Right. Mm, so very true. Yes. Right. People are bored. People are disengaged. Um, people are worried. Um, and, you know, at, when we work together, we need people to be engaged and to care about what they're doing. And I think games can make you re-engaged and kind of like activated and joyful again, motivated. Um, as a starting point, but then it will be about, okay, how can we make sure it stays? That comes back to this transformation question, right? Like, how can we make sure that what you just experienced in the game is really now part of your everyday, you know, collaboration, communication, the way you work together? Okay, so thinking outside of an organization for a minute, because I, I just kind of couldn't help but think about this going into this conversation with you, that 
how does play help us with some of these big, big, big challenges that we're faced with in the world around us? And can it? Yeah. You know, in a way, I think about like civic engagement, right? We're seeing a decline in this in many, many places in the world. And we're seeing a lot of volatility um, from a sort of national, political, societal, even economic sort of level in a lot of ways. Is there a way that play could be help drive meaningful engagement uh, in in that sort of world? Yes, I, I think, yes, there is. An interesting question here is, why are people stopping to engage in these, you know, civic challenges? And I think the point is, they don't feel agency, they don't feel that they can do anything. And that's the worst thing that can happen, because that makes them run away from this and not even care anymore, just giving up, you know, just surrendering. And I think on one hand, when we think about play, it, it creates this new as, as if, right? So an example that I find highly fascinating still is there are people that spend all their day working on public transport solutions in a game for a city. Yeah, that's what they do all day long. Thousands of people are thinking about each and every bus and subway when it would leave. These people don't do this for work. Cities don't take the data. And you'd be like, you know, how is it possible that these people solve the issues we have in public transport for fun? And I think that's the main point because they feel that they there they have an agency and then they have a community that gives them feedback and you know, but in real life we manage to kind of like lose that. I think games could help us play, could help us get that hope back again. And I think it could connect the dots, right? Um, a, a classic example, there is a word called serious games that was actually coined in the 70s. Serious games means games that have a serious topic or you know something um, that fits or educational. But it comes from the 70s and, and it was used by architects to get people engaged into city planning. And they really focused on this and they said, hey, let's bring people together so they care about what people do in their city and how they engage. And they use kind of like these games for that. And I think there is a, a real power to that, right? Um, an interesting one, though, is I see a, in the moment I see great disconnect between these playful worlds where people engage for fun and in their free time, they pay for that even. And I would say, a society that is in a bubble and where you have the feeling who is creating these things. I'm not even part of that. Nobody asks me. And if I say something, nobody cares. So I think it will be about bridging these worlds more and more. We talked about AI earlier. We talked a little bit about technology earlier. And obviously that is such a hot topic as well as we kind of look at the potential outcomes or ways in which we can use play in these concepts that you're designing and developing to support all of us in various different ways. As we think about AI, as we think about new technologies that are entering the workforce, maybe entering our lives in so many different ways, how can play play a supportive tool <laughs> in helping us to uh, encourage adoption mm -hmm. uh, and Maybe even uh, maybe even take a step further and encourage like a, a mindset shift. If we're thinking on that transformational sort of journey, a mindset shift where we can develop uh, a, a stronger sense of trust yeah. with these new tools and technologies. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting one because when you think about play and games, there is a strong meaningfulness for the players. Otherwise, you wouldn't play. And often people forget that 
you might not like the game, but the person who plays it for them, it's meaningful, right? And when you think about these technologies, often they're disconnected from the meaningfulness. They're just, you know, tools. People are afraid of them. But I think there is something about that this resonates with what I'm looking for in the world, what what I want in the world, right? And so I think this is an interesting bridge between what do I want, what am I longing for, what do I desire, and how can that tool really be beneficial for me? And I, I think I often remind myself we are very young with technology, right? Look at social media. We had this hype where everybody was super happy that they meet these friends they didn't see 20 years on Facebook to a moment where you're like, I don't want to use any social media because it got so toxic and it stresses me out, right? So the question is, what is really meaningful here, right? If, if we would take social media away from us now, do, did we really, do we lose something that would create meaning and purpose? Or is it just entertainment and taking attention away from us, right? And I think when it comes to play, I think, sorry, I'm biased, but if I take social media away, we might have some people that are very bored tomorrow. I think if I take play away, we have a massive issue as humanity. It would really go really deep in the core of who we are. And I think there is something to it. And also when we talk about AI or these new trends, I love this idea that technology will help us as humans to grow and develop further in a meaningful way. But we have to remind ourselves that's the reason why we do this, not just money, you know, not just the trend or the sake of it. And I think sometimes we forget. And of course, you know, a lot of people that create these tools, they don't think that way. They, they, their mind is somewhere else. You know, they, they focus on, you know, I worked at MIT and I know how tech people work. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. And I think um, a lot of us others should remind them of what we really need and what we care for. Right. And I think this is when it gets interesting when an AI is really being beneficial to our lives in a meaningful way. Right. That's the moment where this gets interesting. If it's just a gimmick that helps me to work 10% faster, well, that is not going to last at the end of the day. Right. And I think there's something to it. So games can remind us of meaningfulness, I think, when it comes to technology. When we think about meaningfulness and when we think about conflict resolution, which is one of the things that you talked about earlier when we think about why people come to you to work with you uh, to design and implement play-driven experiences. What about conflict resolution on the scale of what we deal with in society? To me, I feel like there's a lot of folks in the world right now that um, don't have as much hope and need to be reminded a little bit of that hope when we think about some of these big societal challenges, these big conflicts that uh, we're weighed down by in our lives? Um, Yeah, super challenging question. when, When we talk about play and games, an interesting one is the shared goal, right? The, the, the shared value of caring about a game. And I think that's what we kind of lost, this understanding, why are we here and why are we doing this? And at the end of the day, it goes down, we want to be connected, we want to be safe, we want to be healthy. And that's it pretty much, right? That's that's our life purpose and what we want. And I think we sometimes forget because if we would focus on this again, an interesting thing here is I think music is doing a really good job. I think when you think about music, unites so many people. Playing music allows people to suddenly feel connected on multiple levels, right? And And when it comes to playing, I think there is a moment of feeling united and feeling, you know, kind of like 
connected to people that probably have a different mindset than me, but in this moment, in this play space, we collaborate, right? And I think what happens, for instance, in politics is where is this play space where they try to really collaborate? It feels they never enter this play space. They kind of like go with two magic circles and two play spaces and say, I will not touch yours, don't touch mine. And what's happening is this disconnection. I think it's really dangerous when we buy into the narrative that we are disconnected as humans because we're not. But, you know, we, we are connected. We just have to remind ourselves of it. And I think there are these experiments when you have people play with each other without knowing who you play with or what their mindset is. They feel very connected. And even we see it in companies, like or you know, we see in organizations that people suddenly feel a connection until they realize, wait, you're from that department or wait, you're that person. So I think there is something about going back to that openness, right, that, that we discussed that play can bring. And um, and I think then there there is a chance, right? And and the funny thing is, one thing I think that would be kind of useful for us humans is a shared issue. <laughs> and that's one of the beauties of the climate issue is we very soon going to have a very clear shared issue. And maybe it's exactly what we need so we can play and try to figure this out again, right? Because we kind of lost track of this and... And it, once everybody's just focusing on their egoistic goals, we as humans don't get anywhere. We just, you know, lose ourselves in this. So there is this theory that the climate change and the, the issues is one of our biggest chances to reunite and understand that we're in this together, right? And another one was for me also Corona. This understanding of what happens in China today is very important to me tomorrow. I, I cannot run away from this, right? And it also means... I want people in China to have a good life and be happy because that will make my life also much better here. So this global understanding that we really understand ourselves as a planet versus, you know, a small society, my family, my country, right? I think it would be really healthy for us to let go of that a little and open up more and, you know, find common playgrounds that we can engage with. You know, it's it's interesting listening to you talk about that. And I love how you kind of, brought it around to the end to such a big issue like climate change that we're dealing with on this planet. You remind me a little in my head there that it's like, this is why we love superhero movies. You know what I mean? This is why we love this crazy force from outer space coming to our planet, threatening to destroy us. And we rally around as one global society to stop the end of humanity. It's that type of moment of coming together as a global community that it feels so like present. We're all so present in that because of the risk that the the catastrophe is so great. We can all sort of feel it in that moment. And if we only kind of took that with us out into the world in our daily lives, then the the potential benefits of that and the outcomes that we could derive from that would be so great for society. I agree. Like one thing that sometimes helps me is I remind myself that everybody loves somebody and it sounds weird and very cheesy, but when you think about it, there are people, you know, when you're in the, in the supermarket and you like, somebody's jumping the queue and you think like, what are you doing? You know, the point is everybody has somebody they really care about. Right. And, and that has shows the potential. And I think, what we also love about superhero movies is the transformation from normal or weak to we have much more in us that we are aware of, right? And I think that's another one. We personally have more in us than we are aware of, but also as a society, we have much more in us, right? The, 
there is every time somebody helps me with something, I, it makes my day so much better and I, I get trust again, right? And every time I can help somebody, it also increases my my hope and trust for humanity. And I think, you know, why don't we just do that? You know, and because I think, um, <laughs> you know, it's just these little things that suddenly yes. make us not kind of like close our doors and, and be afraid of everybody else, but more engaged, right? And um, it, it, I think it's more often these little things than these, you know, massive, we, we rescue the world. It is more like, if I'm in need, my neighbor is actually going to help me um, because they care, right? And and I don't think there are too many people running around the world that actually don't care. Uh, I think it, they just look like that or they, they start to behave like this because the system is is tweaked. We play a wrong game right now, right? As a society, as a world, and we just really should stop it, you know? Um, but you got used to it, right? And over centuries, things have happened. So, but I, 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 I resist on giving up on this one, right? Because otherwise, I think it would not be fun anymore. Hmm. Well, thank you, and I'm glad that you're not giving up. And please never give up. And uh, you and your team and everyone involved, thank you for reminding us of why play is so important, both in work, in life, in how it can help all of us and ultimately maybe even help the world, uh, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> so thank you, Constantine. This was so much fun. Such a pleasure. <laughs> this episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong. <laughs>